Hello and welcome to Power Band Podcast Season 2. Thanks very much to Motomark. If you've had a dirty weekend, check out motomark.co.nz. Power Band Podcast is the New Zealand motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Bikers for Kiwi Bikers. My name is Ray here and joining me is co-host Matthew Day Gillett. Hey, hey. How you going? Pretty good, man. Change of scenery today. Oh, where are you now? Uh, I am sitting in Auckland at the moment, so I came up to test some bikes. So, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have a couple of those in the podcast uh, later in the season. Great. More about that shortly. And introducing a brand new voice to Power Band Podcast based in Christchurch. Yes, that's right. We've got a South Island ring in. It is Jess Meek. Hello. Hello. How are you? Fantastic yourself. Excellent. Yep. Now, you're a brand new voice to the podcast, sitting in uh, balmy Christchurch. How, how hot is it this evening? Uh, probably at least over 30 degrees at the moment. Oh, no thanks. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for taking one for the team and sitting in that sauna while you uh, have a yarn to us about all things motorcycling. No problem. Where do you come from or what's your background? Um, I am from Rangura, so um, I've always been from the South Island. Uh, my background has been, I used to be a vet nurse, uh, and then I worked a couple of years at Budget Motorcycle Spears, which is now Mega Motorcycle Centre, um, and now I'm copywriting, so that's just advertising writing. I do that freelance for an advertising agency as well as for myself, so um it's a little bit um, of a change of scenery, but it's, it's good. I love it. I'm finally doing what I want to do. Brilliant. And we, of course, you're into motorcycling because we wouldn't drag you into this podcast if you weren't. That's right. Yeah. No, I've always been into bikes. Um, my first my first ever go on a bike was actually an XR250. And um, the friends I had at the time were, I have to say, they were they were idiots um, and the bike they're the had best no, kind of friends though aren't they yeah yeah they were awesome you know they got me doing all sorts of things so I, I, I jumped on this bike I had no idea what I was doing um, they said oh look it's got no brakes but don't worry you can just use the gears to slow it down so, <laughs> sweet it sounds good to me just go around in circles just you'll be fine you'll be fine uh, and you know basically they were sort of egging me on and calling me a girl and stuff like that obviously and um, trying to trying to get me to go off and do it, so I thought, oh well, stuff it, I will. And um, I jumped on and went round, and I thought, oh yeah, it's not so not so bad. Um, so I started to increase my speed, and naturally, it seems to be a theme with me as I got a bit cocky, and um, and ended up going over a over a wee hill, and on the other side was a massive swamp, and I submerged the entire bike, uh, <laughs> and and most of myself, and I spent the rest of the weekend helping them take it all apart and um, and clean it out so it was a good intro but it certainly didn't put me off and but you learnt something didn't you you'd like to think so <laughs> <laughs> well I think I, what I, we've learnt yeah. is all good stories start with the bike has no brakes but you'll be fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> at some stage in that whole conversation did somebody say hold my beer uh, actually no drinking was involved it was amazing I think I must have been probably about my 18 19 yeah, and then probably about a year after that, I sold my piano, which I'd played for years and years, and bought a CBR 250, which was awesome. And I had nowhere near enough skill or to be riding on the rows. Um, so I'm sorry to anyone I terrified during that time. <laughs> now, what are you riding at the moment? What was the last bike you got a leg over? Uh, the last last bike is actually um, my KTM Duke 200, which is the one that I'm racing at the track at the moment. Home track being Royal Pona? Oh, Royal Pona, yep, yep. I love it. Um, yeah, the bike's awesome. It's fantastic. It's. I mean, I've ridden a few bikes. I haven't ridden heaps and heaps, but I've, I've ridden enough to know that this one handles amazingly. It corners really well. It's really forgiving. It's very, very light. Um, I know that I could pick it up if I dropped it. I haven't yet. <laughs> so, um, fingers crossed. Uh, and it's, um, it's great. I mean, I, I got it really cheap. It was actually, I bought it off a uni student and I've done under 1,000 Ks, I think. Jeez, um, so not yeah. even broken in. 
pretty much. He just really wanted to, to um, go off to China and um, and get some quick cash. So I thought, I actually wanted a 390, but I thought, well, it's just a 200, but it'll get me started and it will get me um, get me on the track. And and the more I ride around on the smaller bikes, the, the better my, um, my skill level, hopefully. <laughs> See, I've got a theory okay. when it comes to bikes, and it's the smaller the capacity, the more fun you actually have because you can absolutely wring the neck out of a small capacity bike and yeah. you're not going to get out of your depth or if you get out of your depth you're trying really really hard yeah absolutely and that's what a lot of the people that um that ride in that like the the smaller cc capacity classes say the same thing they just love it they'll come back to it and even um some of the guys like dennis charlotte and um and the hoogies um and av will, will come back to the smaller bikes and and ride them you know because they're fun to ride they are fun and it's competitive and there's lots of people doing it and it's cheap. Brilliant. And I'm pretty sure we're going to hear more about your uh, your riding prowess as we move through this uh, this podcast. <laughs> it's a it's a very generous word there, but yeah. <laughs> but before we get there, shall we dive into some news? Sure. Now, last episode, Moto Mark, we had the review, and afterwards, Matt, you asked the question, Moto Mark, why is it pink? Yeah. Now, we did put this question to Hilton and the team, and we got a response. No, it wasn't a silly question, apparently. Yeah, I was semi-taking the piss, but also, like, yeah, why would you choose pink? And, um, yeah, you got us an answer. So what was the what was the uh, response from uh, Mr. Motormark himself. Now, Hilton, I'll read this verbatim. When developing Motormark, the mix was initially clear. This lasted for about a year. Eventually, when I was happy with the formulation, I thought to add some colour so that you could see where you had applied it on the bike. I had some red or pink dye floating around, and I added it. I, we never changed it from there, although I have moments where thinking that it would have been good to maybe use blue dye if I had some laying around. <laughs> I can't actually imagine Motormark being blue, can you? Well, you can get yellow, you can get pink. Yeah, why not? Blue. I mean, isn't that what they do with petrol? They put a dye in it so you can tell what it is and tell that it's not water? Yeah, true, true. I think, I, what is it, 91? or I think it's 91's kind of like a pinky hue. Um, or at least that's what it, I think it was when I was filling up the lawnmower the other day. Um, I, think the, I think the fact that it's even pink just really says that they've done some, maybe some subconscious or... Um, accidental marketing there like even the fact that you're even talking about it it's yeah pink. like yeah like it definitely stands out on the sh- on the shop shelves doesn't yeah, it speaking yeah. of i actually went into my local repco and bought some motormark the other day i know i could have probably scabbed some out of the uh prize cupboard but um <laughs> i figured we'd give that away instead um so yeah actually i went into super cheap and they didn't have it in stock in my local super cheap so i was like all right go to repco got a voucher um, that my brother gave me for my birthday and um, yeah, came out with uh, two bottles of Motomark and um, one of their other really good products, Moto Wipes. Have you used those before? No, I haven't, but I have seen them on the website. It's like a wet wipe, and you just wipe it over your bike and it cleans it. It is brilliant. Great. Um, especially when you're off trying to get a nice photo of your bike that you've ridden somewhere adventurous and you want a photo of it, but it's filthy. You just wipe it down with a Moto Wipe. So and it's baby clean. wipes it's for your baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, don't, I think they need to uh, add that tagline on, Jess. Yeah. You really are a marketeer, Jess, aren't you? <laughs> 
Right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, ramp that up. Uh, thank you very much to Motormark who have uh, sponsored the prizes for season two. More about that a little bit later on. Uh, we've got some some triumph news with the new Scrambler twelve hundred. Yes. So today, obviously, I'm in Auckland today. I'm up testing bikes, and um, one of the bikes I've grabbed happened to be from Triumph New Zealand. And while uh, moseying around their uh, warehouse, um, they just got a delivery of a lot of very large boxes, and in said boxes were a bunch of motorcycles. And lo and behold, brand new scrambler 1200s they're here in the country honestly they look actually really 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 good in person they don't look i don't know if you've watched any videos guys but um in all the international launch videos i'm pretty sure all the international launch media must be midgets or something because these bikes look really imposing but up in person they're actually they're quite sensibly sized and yeah so they're officially here along with the new speed twin um, which is triumph's other new modern classic uh, pricing for the top spec scrambler, the XE, E for Extreme. Well, that's what Triumph's boss told me today, E for Extreme. So that's the top of the range scrambler 1200, 24.990. So basically bang on what we were told back in season one when we first uh, got word of these things. Uh, mid $20,000. Speed Twin, a little bit cheaper, 21.990. And I seriously can't wait to ride these new bikes, especially the scramblers. Um, sort of thinking of them as a naked adventure bike with a bit of Steve McQueen cool thrown in is the way I'm sort of angling my way at those. Another conversation that you and I had in season one was the uh, the look of the street triple and the speed triple. And I called them unfinished, if you remember that. I do remember that. I was semi, uh, or oh, how do I put this, um, hurt. I would like to retract my statement. <laughs> really? I've since had a look at them up close and I oh, they're fantastic looking bikes. They really are. I think I'm in love. I think I want one. Uh, uh, Do you want a speed or a street? Because I actually have a uh, personal favourite out of the two and it might not be what you think. I think I'd like the street triple. Ah, interesting. Me too. I'd go for the street triple R, not the RS. RS is just a bit too much bling for me. Uh, It's more than you really need. But the R, man, that is plenty of motorcycle for the street. And it looks fantastic. I actually quite like it with... um, Because the street... Um, you know at a glance to tell them apart street triple has a conventional swing arm speed triple has a single-sided one yes yeah i i kind of prefer the conventional looking swing arm i don't really enjoy a single-sided swing arm as much as i used to well with this next story that's coming up in the news uh we we might have a chance to ride one of these uh tss red baron formerly tss red baron now tss motorcycles you'll find them alistown lower heart they've got a brand new brand to their stable. Check this out. Catch up now with Stuart Rodwell, uh, owner, operator, big man on campus as far as TSS Motorcycles, Ellistown Lower Hutt. Thank you very much, firstly, for taking the time to have a yarn with me. No, that's okay, Ray. We've got a bit of a triumph as far as your stores go, and uh, it's a, it is a play on words. You've got triumph being added to your stable of what has currently been, and for a long time, uh, Suzuki, Royal Enfield, and KTM. Yeah, that's right. Um, we've been after it, well, I've been after it for 15 years since we started, and then um, we tried to get it nine, 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 ten years ago, but it wasn't on the table, so that didn't work out, and now, yes, we've got it. Fantastic. So, yeah, really happy. Brilliant. Can you give me a, a rundown in, in a nutshell of your your motorcycling history and um, where TSS motorcycles came from? Uh, you probably don't have time in the podcast. Um, my motorcycle history, I started on a mini bike when I was probably about five or six years old and then moved all the way through um, no, uh, mini bike racing and then got to uh, on the road at 15 
and then own various uh, bikes. I've done a uh, lot of road, ra- bit of road racing. Um, I've done, I did sidecar racing for three, four years. Um, so yeah, I've I've done I've done a bit, but most all road. A little bit of dirt. I started dirt when I started the shop, and I think the guys were trying to kill me. So to be fair to say that you're not uh, you're not far into throwing a leg over a, a throbbing machine. Um, no, I wouldn't put it that way. But yeah, no. <laughs> Um, so you, you, you've owned a number of bikes over your time. Can I uh, be so bold as to ask what your favourite bike, the one bike that you could go back to? You may have owned it, you may have not. You've ridden one and gone, oh, that was really nice. I'd love another one of those. Oh, that's a hard one. The one that sticks out to me would be uh, the Katana. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Suzuki dealer. Uh, the Katana 7, 750, I didn't have the 1100. They couldn't afford it. So we got to, I had the pop-up model, the ESC, but this is the ESC the original katana and uh have you, you own motorcycles now what are you what are you riding at the moment that's a funny question i own all the motorcycles here so i ride anything i want it's good eh? <laughs> all right uh, i'll rephrase the question if there was one bike on your showroom floor that you could walk out the door with right now and go for a ride because it's a gorgeous day out there in lower hut what would you take okay well people ask me that question quite a bit honestly right now 1290 Super Duke are fantastic. That would be the bike. Then after that, for an adventure bike, it would be a KTM 1290R. Then after that, it would be a Suzuki GSX-R1000. I only say that because I'm, I'm in my 50s now and it's quite hard. But so that, and then I've fallen in love with a Thruxton. So there's four bikes here. So yeah, that's 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 fine. I mean, we, we're all about uh, a multitude of different bikes. Um, I won't take up too much of your time, but obviously you've had you've had uh, Suzuki for a number of years. KTM is has uh, been around for in this store a long time and Royal Enfield now when you're introducing a new brand such as Triumph do you have to send your mechanics out to do courses with Triumph in the factory and that sort of thing um, yeah what happens is um, first of all the administration side uh, which is the back, the, all the background stuff they come to us they they, they, they let us know what, what how to do things then there is courses that we normally send the mechanics to but um they are technical to the particular models of bikes not to the brand itself because the mechanics here and at other shops have generally worked elsewhere or they've been you know, they've been technicians for a little while so they know what their stuff is so they just need to know what's particular to particular models such as when the KTMs came out with the uh, LC8 models which is the 8 valves uh, only a few shops could actually work on them they had to buy 5,000 dollars worth of tools to just work on those particular bikes so it's a big investment uh, not just in people but also in tooling so yeah so yeah they do send send um we send well for the drive people will probably send obviously send them up to auckland uh, where adam unsworth um he he does the technical stuff for triumph new zealand Brilliant. So I've I've seen some um, some gorgeous looking triumphs floating around the place. When's the go date? When can we say that TSS is, is a place for triumph in Wellington? Um, right now, uh, we've got the first lot of shipments right now, so we can sell them. Next week we'll be have our codes for our parts, and next week also we'll have um, the codes for uh, for unlocking the systems on the bike. So. Even though we got them right now, we'll say Monday, Tuesday. 
Monday, Tuesday, this podcast comes out on Thursday. So uh, basically, as of listening to this day, uh, this podcast today, that you are the triumph dealer in town. Uh, that is correct. Fantastic. Stuart Rodwell, uh, stalled of uh, TSS Motorcycles, Allistown Lower Hut. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm looking forward to taking some of your bikes out for a ride, if that's okay. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much to the man, Stuart Rodwell. And with Triumph being uh, joining Suzuki and uh, KTM and, of course, Royal Enfield uh, to the uh, TSS stable, uh, hopefully there'll be a demo bike or two that we can sling a leg over. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've got to offer that will be uh, quite good especially to have a different opinion because i've ridden quite a lot of the stuff out there at the moment and um, i'd really be keen to find out your thoughts on some of the stuff that's it i've also got one more apology to make matt oh what have you done now i haven't done anything well i have i've done a lot now i was having that conversation with Stuart, and once the microphone got turned off uh he called me out and fear dues as well he called me out on being a yamaha fanboy well, you do own one. I do. Bit hard to sort of be impartial when you've owned one for how many years? Uh, but he said, well, wh- why? What, what have you got against any other bike? And what, it's just too obvious that you love Yamaha too much. You need to be impartial. You need to ride a few more bikes and you need to, um, you need to experience those other bikes. So uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut up about Yamaha unless they've got something serious to say. And we're going to get out there and ride some more bikes throughout the rest of this season and hopefully season three. Sounds fair enough, man. And uh, we'll be good to see you on something not blue. Maybe orange. I think you need to, to jump on a KTM. Well, he was saying KTM. Uh, what's the big 1200 KTM? Oh, yeah. That might be a bit too much bike for you to just <laughs> quickly jump on. He was he was saying I should try the Super Duke. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that bike genuinely scares me. Not going to lie. It's so much motorcycle. I think it would genuinely scare a lot of people. When we find someone, something to ride, we will be out there riding it. Uh, it's all about hours in the day as well. Anyway, uh, shall we dive into some content? And we've got something that's not quite a motorcycle, but still motorcycle related. The brand new HJC i70, Matt. Yes, so um, new year, new helmet. Um, I, Hashtag all the gear all the time. Yep, definitely. Always keep that at get going. Um, no, so I um, I sort of wanted to start the new year by re uh, redoing my riding kits and yeah, so I had to give back a lot of kit when I left my last job. Um, so the cupboard was looking a bit bare. Um, so yeah, I called up uh, the New Zealand distributors for HJC because um, I like me an HJC helmet. They fit quite nicely on my uh, head shape. And um, yeah, so Derby Accessories said, uh, look. We've discontinued the IS-17, which was the last um, HJC helmet I purchased myself. Here's the new one. It's the I-70. Check this out. And honestly, I really like it. You can get tinted visors and all that for it, but it's got your drop-down sun shield, so I'm not really going to bother with that. Favourite thing about it, though, it's pretty idiot-proof. My old helmet, I'm not going to say the brand because I'm not into brand bashing or anything, and my old helmet, I never was quite sure if I had the vents open or closed. It was always a bit tricky. There was too many sort of positions for the vents to be in, and I was always confused and never had optimal cooling or warmth in my head. The HJC is one click, you're done. And yeah, I quite like that. But also it 
doesn't have a D-ring closure. And I don't know how you guys feel about uh, D-rings versus ratchets, um, but I might be converted to the ratchet system of uh, helmet closure. That said, I, um, I, my first helmet that had a ratchet system was uh, an adventure helmet that I got recently, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I know. Like There are a couple of downsides I have discovered. Um, so since getting the helmet, I got the uh, CRF250 Rally in matching colours. And the rally's got a helmet hook, uh, helmet lock, sorry, um, on the subframe. So you can lock your helmet to it and wander away. But it has to be a D-ring. Yeah, it has to be a D-ring. So it doesn't work with the HJC, um, which is pretty much the only negative I can really see to the ratchet system. Let's face it, it's not a biggie. Like, I'd rather keep my helmet with me in most cases, especially if I'm walking around big, scary Auckland. Funny you say that, though. It was the um, CRF250L that I had that had the helmet lock built into it, and I had that exact same frustration. Yeah, because your helmet's, what, an LS2, your adventure helmet with the ratchet, isn't it? Yes, and, um, yeah, like, it's it's a really cool thing, but honestly, I think, like, I don't know what the top-level guys in racing are doing these days, um, but the ratchet's just so fast, and... Let's face it, um, if you crash, uh, God forbid, you don't really want someone fiddling around trying to work out how the heck a D-ring works to get your helmet off on the side of the road. With the ratchet, it's just lifted up, pops off. Easy. Yeah, I'm really a big fan of this uh, new helmet. At speeds, so a lot of people sort of will go, oh yeah, you can't get a decent helmet, so it's going to be noisy as hell. Um, Price-wise, I should probably tell you how much it costs. So you can get them in just base colours, uh, from $399. So this is definitely a nice mid-range helmet. Uh, my one's got the uh, Rias MC1SF graphic. Um, or Rias, I think they just call abbreviate it too. It's cool red, white and black graphic. The graphics go for, uh, I think it's 450 So it's not going to really break the bank. And let's face it, if you're going to cheap out on anything, it's probably not going to be your helmet. Please tell me it's not the helmet you're cheaping out on, if anything. Crikey. Yeah. um, But yeah, honestly, it's acceptable noise at 100k an hour. You do get a bit of wind rushing past your ears and whatnot, but that's par for the course in this price range anyway. And some $1,000 plus helmets that I've worn in the past um, have been no better. So wake a pair of earplugs in eight bucks from your local pharmacy problem solved and yeah so it's i'm quite enjoying this uh, it fits perfectly i'm a large head and like i didn't actually try it before it arrived in my uh, hands i just whacked it on uh, well i sent it off my size and whacked it on perfect fit and yeah it's uh, quite quite a nice lid i'm really really uh taken to it now quick question on the um, the sun visor the drop down glasses some people call them the the lever for that now is that down the side is that up the top where where is the lever for those glasses um whew, all right i'm gonna try and make this make sense so it's essentially on the left hand side at the base of the chin guard so left hand side jawbone kind of area yeah jawbone going area and um so slide it one way drops down slide it the other way retracts up um and i was actually using it today because pottering around auckland in 31 degree heat i think the uh, bike i was riding today was telling me it was it wasn't particularly fun even though i was wearing sunglasses it was bright as so i just hit that dropped down the uh tinted uh, internal sun visor and uh it was brilliant sort of not many people go wandering around with uh, two layers of sunglasses 
But uh, no, it works. <laughs> it really works. Now it's a, it's a smart place to have the lever as well. I did have a, a my, my first helmet that had the drop down glasses had the lever right on the very very top of the helmet, uh, and and I remember one day walking out of the garage and just catching the wee knobbly lever on top of the helmet and breaking it off. Uh, and that was a frustration because I couldn't use the sunglass drop down visor thing anymore. And probably no replacement part, right? No, you can't, you you got to de- deconstruct the whole helmet to get in there. Oh. I bet you didn't buy that helmet again. No, no, I haven't. I, I went from that to the adventure helmet. But yeah, another thing I don't like about some, another position that's quite annoying is behind um, where your visor actually mounts to the helmet. Uh, it just seems like you have to reach too far back and then you have to sort of contort your arm like a contortionist to push up the lever or pull it down or whatever it is. I, yeah, I really do like that jawbone position. Because it just click done. Makes sense, yeah. What model was that helmet again? So this is the new i70 from HJC. So it replaces the IS17, uh, which they had in their lineup for quite a while. Um, brand new for 2019. Awesome helmet. And uh, yeah, priced from $399. And yeah, if I was looking for another road helmet, which I'm currently not, I'm currently looking for an adventure helmet. Um, yeah, I'd probably have another one in my uh, in my uh, pantry where I keep my helmets. Great. We'll stick a photo up on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash power band podcast. And you can grab those helmets at uh, any of your local HJC dealers. Moving right along, Jess, a new inductee to Power Band Podcast, and thank you very much for taking the time to have a yarn with us this evening. You're involved in road racing and many other forms of motorcycling across the South Island. Uh, from someone, For someone who may be in a similar position or just interested in getting on track, uh, I wonder if you could give us a rundown of maybe how you got involved in road racing uh, and how they could go about uh, getting on track. Yeah, no worries. Um, well, first of all, it's going to be really different depending on where you are around the country. Um, I know a reasonable amount about uh, motorcycling Canterbury because I'm Canterbury-based, obviously. Um, but if you're anywhere else, your best bet is probably just to approach your local club and, and see what they've got going because they may have bikes um, that they might hire out or they might have some um, unpublicised training um, program that no one else knows about yet. But um as for me, I started out um, a little bit sideways. Actually, I, I got into side chairs before I on the track before I side ju- chairs. Yep, side cars, side chairs. So, um, yep, three wheels on the track. And were you in control, or were you the mad person hanging off the side of it? I was the mad person off the side of it, and I've, honestly, it was life changing. Um, I know that you're probably like the bravest person I know because there's no way in hell you would get me on the side of a side. Oh, I was hysterical the whole way around. I was just giggling. It was just the it was the best thing ever, and I just thought, right, that's it. I don't I don't care what it takes. I am racing in some form or other. Uh, I really, really, really wanted to to ride two wheels, but um, the position that I was in at the time, um, financially and just in my life in general, I didn't have the skills to to keep up my own bike. So I thought, well, maybe if I um, if I jump on the side of 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 a side chair, then it might be a little bit easier. It turns out it, it kind of was. So, so I did that for a little bit. What is it actually like? Because sidecars are quite low and. When you're the, you call them swingers, aren't they? With the mad people. Well, yeah, most people call them swingers, but um, they've really changed their name a little bit to passengers. I guess is the. Is it because the connotation with swinger yes, is someone that yes, goes it is. to but, the party? But we, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we still all call them swingers. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's awesome, um, and being close to the track is just, um, just exhilarating. Does it feel faster than you're actually going because you're so low? Yes. 
Definitely. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the key thing about it is lots of people think that you have to be really muscular and strong. Um, and what I really quickly learned is there's, a, there's quite a bit of um, uh, cardio fitness that you need to have. Um, you need to have reasonably, you know, for about 15 minutes of quite hardcore, it's very, very physical. Um, but the, the main thing is that you need to be, um, you need to have good timing and to be able to get over to one side to the other um, reasonably quickly using the using the g-forces that uh, when you go around a corner so if you miss that and you're on the wrong side of a g-force then there's no recovery from that you wouldn't want to be clumsy no that's right honestly it sounds like um, even if i wanted to i'm out because there's no way in hell i am fit enough to do that well you could you might be surprised but yeah I don't know, I'm yeah. pretty knackered after riding bikes all day today and that was just pottering along on a, an adventure bike and a scooter, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but oh. if, you spe- if you do a couple of laps on it and you realise that actually you have to um, you have to be fit, you don't actually have the choice to think about whether or not you're fit enough, you have to stay on <laughs> and um, be in the right place at the right time or you're both in trouble. So, I mean, I love it just because of the, a little bit of pressure, but... Um, I remember going out on the World Champ side chair. I think it's um, Tim Reeves' side chair. Uh, and that was a massive eye-opener because the, the side chairs that we have in New Zealand are, um, some of them are pretty good, but they're, they're nowhere near like what's overseas. And when um, Tim Reeves' chair came over here um, and I managed to have it going up, I think it was going probably 75% capacity, so not Jeez. as fast as it could have. And... I was. I did two laps and I had to tap out. I was just and I rolled off the back. Far out. <laughs> fetal position. It was awesome. I loved it. But so it's fair to say that the New Zealand bikes are pretty uh, low in tune compared to what else is available around the world. Um, I don't know if I'm the best person to ask about that, but they they were when I started out. Um, but now now they've like with the Suzuki series I've had some big names come over and with them they've bought the, the good bikes, the good side chairs. So um so I think it's I think it's improved a, a, a bit, but um yeah. You're probably best to ask the side chair fraternity about that. I don't know. As far as we're concerned, you're our expert, Jess, because oh, you know okay, way sweet. more about it than we do. <laughs> yeah. So from riding side chairs, uh, what was next? What was your next taste of, of speed? Um, well, side chair, I ended up buying a side chair um, and it got a bit expensive, so I sold it. Um, 600 bucks a tyre. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually ended up jumping on an FXR, which is quite a lot of people's first bike um, when they when they jump when they get on the track, uh, and that was that was pretty awesome. I was terrified, I have to say. I was literally I was shaking. I mean, I'm naturally slightly anxious, but um, my partner just had to like talk me through it and tell me to breathe and all this stuff. And and one lap out there, and I was fine. Like all my worries and everything just disappeared it was just yeah I, mean, I wasn't particularly fast at all for you know for quite some time and I'm still not but um but yeah the FXR was the first first bike I jumped on and then um then I think I jumped on a Ninja Ninja 250 which was awesome as well it wasn't um as I don't think I remember it being as fast as my CBR 250 but maybe I'm just got rose tinted glasses on about my CBR but um but also very heavy um and then, and then the KTM came up, and and since then it's just been me and my KTM, and yeah, I'm I'm definitely massively biased towards <laughs> that towards that bike. So, so getting involved in um, in racing, uh, maybe with your local track. Let's take Christchurch and, and Greater Canterbury as a as a prime example. 
okay, I've got a 250, I want to hit the track and I want to get good at racing. What what are my steps? What do I need to do? Um, the easiest way to go about it will be to contact um, Motorcycling Canterbury. Um, so they have an actual training program um, and you would contact uh, a really nice guy called Paul Skinner and he is the training coordinator. Um, and basically that's anyone from seven years plus. So you can be quite young and you go out in a, in a training evening which is uh, the night, the evening before any uh, club round. So you just have to grab a, an MCI calendar and have a look. Um, but best thing to do is jump on Facebook and look up MCI Training Group Facebook page or just contact um, Motorcycling Canterbury and um, see if you can get hold of, of Paul Skinner. Um, and then he will talk to you a little bit about training and what's involved and there's bikes that you can hire out as well. So um, I think it's... I think it's fifty dollars to hire out a bike. Wow, that's from memory. That's really reasonable. That sounds uh, pretty the, cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and for training, um, they've got gear as well. Obviously, you'd need need to sort a helmet, but they've got plenty of um of leathers and, and boots and. And what they don't have, um, they'll be able to point you in the right direction to obtain. Exactly. Yeah? And everyone, as soon as you show an interest, everyone just flocks around you, um, like a big family, and um and tries to get you going. So it's really cool. So it's just growing it's just so awesome to see people of all ages like not just restricted to a certain age group but but everyone who shows an interest I mean we've had um, people you know over 40 over 50 come in and you know they've been riding on the road for a while and they want to try riding on the track um, you know and it's all about the attitude and um, and, the, and their willingness to sort of to actually be, accept being you know, having some feedback from a rider that's probably going to be younger than them. Um, and I, I've been trained by by um, people that are younger than me and it doesn't bother me at all. I, I think it's great. Right. And we so we set you a task to find out what the next steps were once you've done the training. And you had a chat to a nice gentleman by the name of Brent Cotton, uh, who I understand is, is, is in some way some relation. Potentially. Yes, he is my partner, but he's also um, he's also the junior club captain for Motorcycling Canterbury. So, um, yeah, so I had a really good chat to him, um, and just about where to from here because it's a really big step from when you can go and do training for a while. But um, then what, you know? So yeah, I had a good chat to him. I'm here with junior club captain of MCI Brent Cotton. Once you're ready to go racing, what's the next step? Like depending on where you are in the country, like I'm in my 30s now, like once I start to, to want to race and, and I'm ready to go, what's the next step? So once you've done training um, and you've been through the development um, that MCI offers, then basically that'll give you the skills to go onto the track and start racing. So it depends what how your skill set is, what you've ridden on the road. So we've got guys that'll start on 600s, but mainly guys will start out on uh, Formula 4 bikes. 250 production or um, our Super Sport 150, which incorporates basically all small bikes under 250cc. Um, and there's sort of a mental program, so there's uh, these quite senior um, guys racing that give guidance. And, and basically, if, if anything's going wrong or you've got any bad habits or just anything going wrong on track, um, usually it'll be either reported back or the senior guys will approach you and let you know um, what you're doing wrong. So it's, it's really encompassing that. that uh, 
the club welcomes new riders and, and mentors and basically. And what about if you're in the North Island, if you're North Island based, do you have any idea where people should go or who they should ask about um, about getting into racing? Yeah, well most clubs will have some sort of program in place. Uh, Motorcycle and Canterbury's um, probably leading the charge there with uh, the uh, uh, training program. But most clubs will um, point you in the right direction, will help you out with advice, what class to, to race in and, and how to get into it. So um, probably just uh, whatever area you're in, find out what, what's your local club and then contact uh, one of the club officials. Most clubs will be quite forthcoming with information. North Island clubs run the likes of the Jixit Cup and, and Hyacinth Cup and stuff like that. So there's always a, a low CC class in your local club that you can join in and um, and have a taste. It's a little bit harder if you if you're riding a 600 on the road and you want to try track um, riding. It's it's always a, a massive step to one prepare the bike, but um, also jump in it at such a high level. So usually it would make sense and and um, to you know 250 or below is just a good way to to learn the skills on the track before you um, put your uh, pride and joy and larger bike to risk on the on the track. And, and- what about um, if you're looking at doing nationals as a as a relative newbie? Um, what classes are we looking at there that that are that you're eligible for? Uh, well, currently there's. Um well, we're halfway through our um, 2019 Nationals in the South Island Ruapuna Run Super Sport 150. So basically 250 production and below couldn't run on that class. There's some B grades in most of the championship classes. And then um, into the North Island, the fourth and fifth rounds have that Super Sport 150 class. If you're 14 to 21, I think it is, um, you can race in the Jixa Cup, which is a full championship class. Uh, there's 250 production rumouring that, that this could be the last year for it numbers are dropping off with a new 300 class well it's not so new now it's it's been going for a few years and most guys with 250s that are becoming quite old have chosen to sort of go to 300s with uh, with tunable suspension and stuff like that um, and then the North Island I think in the Motorfest at round three the higher sun cup has been raced and then round four and five super sport 150 which higher sun cups Formula 4, 250 production are all eligible for that, that um, Super Sport 150 class that they're, they're offering at the last two rounds. So you're thinking that's probably going to be a class that's, that'll be offered next nationals as well? Well, 250's dropping off. I'd like to see a, a, an introductory class. It's been run at all the rounds in the past and, and it's been a huge success. It's just a way for uh, you know a young guy can go and, and cheaper entries, not have the pressure of having a, um, a championship class and do all the rounds you can learn how to travel where to stay you know bikes set up and stuff like that without actually having that pressure of having a championship class and financial um, like a Super Sport 150 entries $75 versus $330 so it makes sense to to at least do a year in a support class just to get a feel of what happens and um, it's pretty daunting I think to to sort of be early into road racing and just rock up to the nationals and, and and, um, and no tie warmers. And no tie warmers, no. So, um, yeah, you can do um, nationals quite cheaply. Like, obviously, if you're in a support class, um, things like um, scrub tyres or, or championship guys um, can be used. Um, you can pit just out 
and the pits itself with with an easy up. You, know, you don't have to have garages, you don't have to have power. Yeah, and it's just a really good way to get a feel for for what would happen if you if you turned up to a championship. So yeah, it's a way of serving apprenticeship and road racing, I suppose. Cool. Might have to look at that next year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, there's no reason why um, someone with you know reasonable skills um, can't just turn up to a to any of the rounds of nationals and race at your home event and, and you know the, the, the support classes are round by round they're, they're not a championship or a, a series of their own they're just um, round by round so um, you can quite easily just go to your home track uh, race at your home home round and be at the nationals and, and be there with uh, Superbike Guys 600 experience um, it yeah, yeah yeah be part of it uh, Brent the other thing I've noticed is that a lot of good riders and a lot of riders that have been racing for, for quite a few years are still racing in the smaller capacity classes. Can you tell me why that is? Yeah, it's, it's probably more of a motorcycle and Canterbury thing. Um, I sort of noticed in the North Island that the smaller capacity classes probably aren't quite as um, strong as down here in, in the South Island. Um, we've got a lot of the, the senior riders, the, um, the Hoogan Boos and Boys, um, Avalon Biddle, Dennis Charlotte, all are quite happy to come back down to 300s um, or, or even um, Formula 4 buckets. For a lot of reasons basically it's a cost it's a good way to get track time without costing a lot of money obviously a thousand or six hundred tire bill alone for a for just a, a, a club meeting um can be extremely expensive whereas like on a 250 or a 300 or, or smaller bike a set of tires will last a season um so a really good way to get track time without costing a heap of money and quite a big subscribed field so there's always someone to race with and it's really competitive and what about uh, in terms of of skill level and, and improving race craft because i've heard a lot about um, riding smaller capacity bikes being being the way to go in terms of um, um improving your corner speed and, and learning how to ride tactfully and yeah well, well definitely it's um on small bikes obviously skill is where you get your speed from you, you can't rely on the power of the bike to uh to give you a good lap time so uh it's a simple fact if you don't if you don't ride them well you won't have good lap times so um, you know you ask the likes of Avalon Biddle who's raced the old street stop and buckets and and now quite happy to jump on a 300 um, it's polishing her skills uh, riding a small bike really well so so a small bike ridden fast uh, is a whole heap more enjoyable than riding a fast bike slowly mm. so uh, I, I, I said um, I said tactfully before but I meant tactically which are completely different things yeah exactly um, <laughs> I was just going to say that um, yeah, Avalon's a, a fantastic teacher and um, the, the training makes a huge difference the feedback that you get the technical feedback especially that you get um, has been really really uh, important both from, from you because you've trained me um, and, and Av as well so um, that training aspect has been huge for me so I, I personally hope that it's something that can be perhaps um, mirrored around yeah. another, another club but um yeah, we, we're very lucky here in Canterbury that uh, our senior riders are quite happy to come back and, and put back to the sport. Um, like even at nationals, our our club financially supports our, our riders going away to the nationals when we go to the North Island, which is a really cool thing to do. But part of that, we do get back from those riders as well. You know, we've we've got a training um, night coming up, and I think Avalon is away, but um, the likes of Ryan Hampton, who hasn't ridden for a while, is coming back to, to do some training quite often we'll have um, the Hookenboos and Boys um, one of them will be there so yeah as a club we're, we're it's quite family orientated and 
and senior riders sort of can see where, as a club, will be strong as long as they get back. So um, even if it's loading a truck to go to the North Island or, or a training night on a Friday night or something like that, there will always be a senior club member there. And the other thing is a lot of the, the committee members, um, I'm actually struggling to think of any of the committee members that actually don't race. Um, obviously, Wendy, um, most amazing um admin person um, doesn't ride but but generally most of our committee all, all race so um, the fact that we're actively involved in racing makes it easier to make decisions and, and sort of help out so uh, along with that um, a lot of the committee have um, have family that races so uh, we've got kids that um, that are a part of the sport so it just becomes a big family basically and that, that's one of Motorcycle and Canterbury's um, strongest points is, is that family aspect Yeah that's something I've noticed the camaraderie has, yeah, has been definitely. something that's been really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's um, you know, if it's a set of tyres that have just got a little bit of life left in, or something like that, there's there's very little value you know, rather than going in the bin or or heading off to uh, to the landfill. Um, they'll they'll just be handed on to to the next rider that possibly doesn't have the budget to to buy that set of tyres. They'll. Um, you know, they'll make sure that they find them in the right home. We've got a club garage full of uh, leathers and boots and, and riding gear and back protectors and all that sort of stuff that, have, that a lot of it has been um, has been just gifted to the club from uh, from races. So, uh, mm-hmm. yep, some of it's crash damage, but um, it's still uh, in a state where it can be used. So, um, yeah, we've got a couple of Ninja 250s. We've got FXRs and all that sort of thing. So someone that just wants to rock up and buy a day licence on, on a race day and, and give racing a go um, there will be gear and bikes and stuff like that, that, that um, and advice um, all to help people get into the sport. Well that's very very informative so that's um, that's basically from, from, from interest right through to uh, to getting on track Yeah, great, well thank you very much for informing us of that and if there is anyone that uh, that wants to get into some uh, some track work with their motorcycle um, you can get involved with, uh, with what, is it Canterbury Motorcycle Club? Motorcycling Canterbury. Or if you're down near Timaru, there's a track. Invercargill, there's a track. What's that? Teratonga. Uh, Topor. Contact your local track and have a yarn to somebody. There will be somebody that you can talk to to go further in whatever form of motorsport that you want to get involved with. So Jess, once you've got on track, uh, you've done everything you want to do, what, you're riding a 200 KTM at the moment. What's your next step? What do you want to, what, what are your aspirations? Where do you want to go from here? Um, well, I want to improve a lot. Um, <laughs> I actually, we've, we've done quite a bit to the KTM and my partner's got the same bike. Um, so we've done a little bit of experimentation with it. We took the, the, the catalytic converter out and put new exhaust systems in both. Um, new tyres, unplugged some electrics to, to prevent it from cutting out because it used to cut out at about 1.30. Um, we added a power commander as well when we put them both on the dyno. Um, they're really, really light bikes, so um, I'm quite excited to see, you know, how far I can go on it. I'm not a heavy person, um, so I think they're about 134 kgs, um, and that's and that's with the cat and without the cat's, you know, yeah, 130 possibly less now that they've taken all the road gear off. Um, so I really want to just get back out there on the track and probably do club rounds and maybe looking at doing a, a nationals if there's a, an, an appropriate class. So it's going to depend on if there's a class that, that the KTM Duke 200 is eligible for, which is really important to me because there better be or I'll be <laughs> upset. So whose bike no actually makes more power, yours or your partner's bike? Surely there's uh, got to be like point 0.1 of a kilowatt in there somewhere. There is a difference. At the moment... Um, my partner did some 
adjustment to his bike. Um, he probably doesn't want me to say what it is, um, but it's rendered it uh, currently. It's in ICU. <laughs> so, oh, so your bike definitely has more power. Currently. Yeah, but 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 when they're um, when they're actually on the track together, his one is probably a little bit more. It's got a little bit more grunt, and I I think I think it I think some of it might have to do with the. Um, rear suspension and a couple of other things. I mean, they're never going to be exactly the same, are they? But No. But are you lighter than your partner? Is that That's the big question. <laughs> yes. Yes, so I am. So theoretically, you've got a better power-to-weight ratio no matter what. So I do. It's just my skills that are holding me back. And uh, he's actually a really good trainer. That was the other thing I was going to mention. He's a really good trainer. And um, and Av's, Av's been training me as well. And she's given me some excellent technical feedback. And that's really, really important. I mean, she's, she'll come back in and she'll tell you, right, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this. How did you find this? And then, and then we'll go out there and we'll do it again and we'll just repeat it. And she's been awesome and really encouraging. And between Av and, and Brent... Um, my confidence has just really skyrocketed. So n- not to the point of overconfidence because that's very crash and takes skin off my hand. But Yeah, so basically their job is to give you tips but not give you a big head. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, I know Av, she's absolutely awesome. Um, she's lovely, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, I'd happily take tuition from Av any day yeah. of the week, you know, especially yeah. as she's probably the fastest rider I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who, who wouldn't take tuition from Av, right? Yeah. Oh, if you see her, just tell her, um, yeah, next time she's uh, at Hampton Downs at a, uh, or whatever day, and if I'm around, um, yeah, send her my way. I need yeah. help. <laughs> need help. Yeah, I'll pass it on. <laughs> SOS. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for the, uh, filling us in on those steps to get into uh, road racing and, and track work, uh, because, well, personally, I've never been on a track with a motorcycle, not a road track with a motorcycle in my life. Uh, oh, I'm you sure definitely th- should. There's a lot of people in that boat, so uh, thank you very much. And I suppose the the first port of call would be, do you reckon, a, a track day, like a have-a-go day, that sort of thing? Yeah, a have-a-go day, yep. And um, that's probably the most common around New Zealand. I mean, the, I don't think, I think Motorcycle Canterbury is the only one to have a structured road racing training program. So, um, yeah, so a have-a-go day would be probably a great start, at least to start networking and, and talking to people and and taking steps from there. And as uh, we mentioned earlier, you, you, you do more than just road racing yourself. I hear that you went to a have-a-go day for some trials riding uh, a, a day or two ago. I did, I did. Uh, I said I would in, in, my, in an article I wrote. Um, so I had to, I'd already committed to it. And I really wanted to, and they just look so, so much fun. Um, so I went out there. I went out there deliberately early so that I wouldn't have a, a massive audience. Um, and, and I had a go on one, and it was... Um, it was awesome. Uh, they, it was completely different to. You have to forget everything you know about um, about road road riding or, or racing, which is really hard for me. And uh, I wasn't used to the talk at all because as soon as you twist the throttle, it's right there. Um, so that's how I managed to crash. Actually, it was a really embarrassing crash. It was one of those I managed. Oh, you crashed! Yeah, no, you came off. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't even trying to do a jump or anything. I was literally trying to just stop. And I'm, I'm really honest about my crashes. I was trying to stop, and I accidentally whiskey throttled, and it, <laughs> it just it pulled me along. It was it was quite hilarious. I was actually I was definitely more worried about the bike because it wasn't mine. Um, but the bike was fine. Obviously, they're built for that. Um, um, and everyone reassured me that 
lots of people do it, so I'm hoping that's true. <laughs> I think everyone's got a whiskey throttle story. Matt, uh, something about a a bike ending up in a, an electric fence? Yeah, I don't know if it was Ooh. technically whiskey throttle. It was more, um, I am seven and I don't know what a clutch or gears is. <laughs> and um, yeah, I revved, a, um, I think it was a Suzuki 50 in gear and did an impromptu Superman over a uh, pile of dirt into an electric fence. Um, which my uncle then had to turn off to get the bike out of. Um, That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. See, my first one was a, an 06 Honda CRF250R, which was my first ever dirt bike. Now, i I, I got to say, don't start riding on a dirt bike on a CRF250R. They're, they're not good bikes to learn on. Uh, but I was on a trail on my own as well, and uh, first time I experienced some yumps, hit the yump, second one, throttle wide open bikes straight off into the distance everyone's got a whiskey I've got story. I've got more than one <laughs> well we might have to dive into those in a future podcast yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much though Jess uh, looking forward to catching up no with worries. you in future episodes uh, shall we dive into some events yeah may as well tell people what's uh, on this weekend though um, unfortunately because we come out on a Thursday, uh, we're going to miss all the Waitangi events. Oh, there's going to be a whole lot of um, poker runs and all sorts of things. Yeah, that was a bit of a blue on our part, so I don't think we actually included them last week. Um, but, uh, oh, well, we'll learn for next year. It's my first day. <laughs> Isn't that the excuse you use when you... Anyway, uh, we'll dive into some dirt events, as we usually do. Uh, we're just going to start in the far north, Riverhead, Auckland. We've got a trial, uh, a twilight trail ride happening on Friday. Uh, let's move down the country to the Coromandel. Thames Valley Motorcycle Club have the Coroglen trail ride happening on Saturday. Uh, nice part of the country, Coromandel, as well, so do check that out. The Burt Farm Trail Ride is happening on Saturday near Whakatane. Uh, the Sherwood School Trail Ride, it's a fundraising ride, is happening on Sunday in the central Hawke's Bay. And finally, the one that I want to go to on Sunday, the Horofenua Motorcycle Club have the Laws Hill Trail Ride, and this is just out of Levin. Lots of fun, lots of trail rides. Do check out silverbullet.co.nz for more information on the dirt events. Let's head to some road-centric action with Matt. Yeah, so starting from the bottom, because uh, why not? Uh, obviously, this weekend is Invercargill's big show. It's the Burt Munro Challenge Week, which I was meant to be going to this year until plans all got changed around and i am gutted because that means it's 11 years that i've been wanting to go to the birch and haven't made it happen but i've got i've got a bike now so maybe next year you'll have to have a bike for the road again and uh, we'll cruise down stay at jess's place just on her couch and then head to the birch and row all together sound like a plan <laughs> sounds fine <laughs> all right let's make that happen for 20, uh, 2020 yeah um but yeah it's going to be a cool year this year as well because uh, not only is invercargill the home to Burt's world's fastest Indian, but Indian Motorcycle have actually brought out um, his great nephew Lee's bike from the States, um, and Lee's been land speed racing at Bonneville and, uh, oh, I can't remember, Mojave, somewhere in Mojave Deficit as well, um, with, um, they call it the Spirit of Munro, it's based off a modern Indian Scout and it's um, partial streamliner, it's an absolutely awesome machine, and uh, Kiwis get to check it out uh, in the flesh. Uh, this weekend uh, and this weekend only because it'll be packed up in a crate and back to the States before you know it. Uh, moving on and uh, moving up the country, uh, this weekend is, there's one of those have a go rider training days at Ruapuna. Um, technically, the entries will have closed uh, Wednesday this week, 
Um, but if you get in touch with the team over at Ruapuna and the motorcycle in Canterbury, I'm sure they might be able to squeeze you in. It's about $90 a rider, depending on your age, um, but well worth a go. And also on Sunday, uh, 10th of February, uh, Gowdy's Road. It's the Land Speed Trials. So it's those guys that are crazier than Jesse that just go in a straight line as fast as they can. Oh, that's, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> that's Ripperal. This is near Ripperal, just out of uh, Topor. Yes, yes, east of Ripperal. Uh, Twenty dollars to spectate. Um, honestly, I have this brilliant idea of trying to make like the world's fastest fifty cc thing or something ridiculous um but i understand there's a bloke down in christchurch uh, johnny speed shop who's actually built a really cool i think it's got a ktm engine um and he's going for the 50 cc records so uh that'll be something to cool uh if you want more info on the land speed uh trials at gowdy's road or anywhere else in the country because uh there's an actual organization for the first time in a very long time here in new zealand uh head to the website landspeed.org.nz um, and it's got all the info and uh from memory, they're trying to get land speed events all around the country, uh, which is pretty primo. And that'll do us for uh, road events because, yeah, there's not a lot happening until the following weekend. Oh, I'm pretty sure, though, if we check out that website, what is that website again? Uh, MotoEvents.nz. Uh, it's run by the good folks at Bike Road Amazing. We'll find something to uh, to do on the uh, on the road bikes. A few thank yous for this episode. Powerband Podcast Season 2 is brought to you free and without a paywall. Thanks very much to the good folks at Motomark. If you've had a dirty weekend, check out motomark.co.nz for the full range of premium cleaning products for bikes, cars, 4x4s, lawn mowers, the whole lot. Uh, no elbow grease required. Keep your toys looking spick and span with Motomark. For the review, check out uh, Powerband podcast season two episode one or our youtube channel uh just uh, youtube uh, just search power band podcast on youtube uh and you'll see the video of me cleaning the old wr250 also uh facebook.com forward slash power band podcast is where you need to head to keep up to date with all the bits and pieces that we uh, that we post up there and uh and that sort of jazz. Also, thank you very much to Jesse. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. We hope to hear more of you as we move through the season. Not a problem. It was awesome. Thanks, guys. And thanks very much to your Motorcycling Canterbury contacts as well. Easy. Right. Well, there's one thing left to do. There's two things left to do, actually, in this episode. But the one thing that a lot of people want to know about is the winner of the Motormuck prize pack for this uh, this episode, Matt. Uh, and the winner is Brendan Herder. All right, Brendan, if you want to get in touch with us, facebook.com forward slash powerbandpodcast. Fire us a message. We'll fire you out that uh, Motormuck prize pack. Uh, it'll uh, it'll clean up your bike no end, i tell you that much. Yeah, or if you don't have a bike, uh, use it on your car. Works just as well there, too. I did use it on my car. I got a, I got a 2005 Subaru Legacy, and it worked wonders. I'm surprised no one's called us out about our Subaru love, to be honest. Uh, shall we move on to the dad joke? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, well, I gave you a dad joke last week, Matt. Give us a dad joke All for right, this week. So, um, well, you and I both have young sons, and at one point... They're hopefully going to be polite enough to say, I'll call you later. So, yeah, when we're old and grey and, uh, yeah, we're calling them up to check on them, make sure they're brushing their teeth and whatnot, and they'll just say, oh, I'm too busy, Dad, I'll call you later. Our response will be, don't call me later, call me Dad. Boom, boom, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you said a Dad joke, you didn't say it had to be a what good What was one. that movie? Uh, <laughs> Airplane. Uh, surely, you can't be serious. Oh, Leslie Nielsen. I am, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> oh, I wonder if that's on Netflix. I want to actually 
hunt that out. And while you're doing that, we're going to round off season two, episode two. This is Powerband Podcast. I've been Ray. I've been Matt. And I've been Jess. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on. We'll catch you next week.